welcome to the Renew the Mind podcast with the pastoral staff of Christ Community Church. I am Pastor Daniel Hickenbotham, and I am joined here today by Pastor Patrick Murphy, <laughs> Pastor Jeff Kennedy, and Pastor Ryan Patty. Again, struck by the Irishness of this group. Our goal for this podcast is to help all of us at CCC uh, to be obedient to the call of Romans chapter 2, which commands, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And uh, last week, we started a discussion on 1 Timothy, and I think we made it through three or four verses, and so we're going yeah, yeah. to jump in and, and continue on there, and I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Jeff. All right. So we did land on uh, verse 3 last time. Um, he tells Timothy to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct, there's an interesting word, uh, so that you may instruct certain people, certain people, not to teach heterodoxy or doctrines that are, that run contrary to the word that was already given you. Um, and this is our tendency. Our tendency will be to get away from the book and to get off into speculative territory. Now, he mentions a couple Examples here in verse four, Pat. What are they? And tell us what you think they mean. Well, myths and genealogies. And so w- within their day, w- when we think of myths, we're also connecting to the Greek world, the Greco-Roman belief structure, Zeus or Jupiter, whichever phrase you want to use, and their understanding of how much of the myth that we know actually truly represents the God that we pray to. And so some of that culture has found its way into the church to say what we know about God and Jesus is how much has been misinterpreted over time. And the Jews are coming actually saying, no, what is written is actually true and we can trust it. But that debate going on in this Gentile Jewish church is taking place. So they're spending all this time debating that and then jumping to genealogies is the look of taking the biblical genealogies and then from what was left off, tracing them to where we are now. And that was at times manipulated to give one family or, or my line some divine right or special ability to preach, teach, and trust me more than another. So all of these are speculative. They don't know. They don't go anywhere. They result in no fruit for the church. And Paul's saying, stop it. Right. Let's be done. And, and so that's good. That's good. So it seems like that the reason they're doing this is so that they can assert their own... There's, there's personal gain involved. There's personal gain place. in this. And so he is trying to warn Timothy to warn others not to get wrapped up in the speculative teaching. Right. So do we find an application of that? Um, well, what's, what's our myth in genealogies? What's our modern-day equivalent to these kind of things that take place? I mean, we, we can kind of see them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I... Practically, I think contextually, uh, we live and minister in a particular context in which um, many of a different religious faith would uh, argue for the importance of genealogies within their faith and being able to trace uh, where they come from and who they specifically relate to. So it's interesting in in this particular book that we uh, hold our faith to that uh, would seem to speak against doing that. Um, And so... Uh, that's obviously a touchy subject uh, for many people, but um, there is something to recognizing 
uh, one, the importance of our genealogy is ultimately that we go all go back to Adam and are created that's in God's right. image. We also, and uh, yeah, that's our genealogy. And that, yeah, we have all are under the fall. And then from there, uh, we have a understanding of um, the commonality of our uh, human origin. And, and so we're able to, um, at least at the very least, put us all on the same level playing field and not trying to elevate one family or one specific group over the other. Great point. I think you have said it very well and very kindly. What I was trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that the only genealogy statements we have in the New Testament are Jesus's <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. in, in Luke 3 yeah. and Matthew chapter 1. And both of those genealogical statements trace Jesus back to Abraham and Adam, who was mm-hmm. the son of God. But now Jesus is the new son. He's the next Adam. He's the last Adam. And so the what is real here's what really matters. Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Yeah. Because if you are in Christ, you are a co-heir, according to Ephesians, yeah. of God's kingdom. Sure. If you are not in Christ, you are an heir of Adam's yeah. uh, realm, which is punishment yeah. and destruction. Really and two permanent. genealogies, two families that matter. <laughs> the, 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 they're the ones that matter. Yeah. And this is why he doesn't want them getting spun out. Sure. I will say about myths, though, um, in the ancient world, muthos or myth could be used of any story. It could be a historical narrative, actually, mm. that where the historian, like ancient Herodotus, does not make a distinction between fact and fiction. And so you would have a guy like Thucydides or uh, mm. another Greek historian would look at his work and say, that's not historical narrative yeah. because historical narrative distinguishes between fact and fiction. And he has both in his volumes. Yeah. So that's kind of technically that's what a myth was in the ancient world. Okay. Um, here, though, I do think that Paul has a decisively negative connotation for this word it does look like these are these are things that are a waste of time so when i listen to uh dr chuck missler and uh so i i this is one of those rare times where i'm going to call a teacher out and i know that we have had some people who have listened to his radio program but when i listen to the way he goes back to the old testament and presses every detail of of the, the everything well everything <laughs> for a kind of spiritual significance like all the implements of the temple hmm. i think what you need to know about the temple i think there are some interesting things there for sure but i think what you need to know is what is in the book of hebrews yeah. and that is that jesus fulfills the 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 sanctuary which is an earthly copy of the heavenly and then by it goes into the heavenly sanctuary and 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 uh, placates god his wrath. And so that is the main idea of the New Testament. And I think to to spend a lot of time speculating about things that the Bible either doesn't speak to or is underdeterminative, you know, or where the Bible does speak to it, but is underdeterminative, I think can really take us away from the meat and potatoes of the gospel. That's just me. I think Again, the, I think that's the, I, not the Lord. I think the word says these, these things, these myths and paying attention to myths and these endless genealogies they promote empty speculations rather than god's plan which operates by faith and it's the promotion of god's plan that is being taken away from and and that happens i mean i can't i can't tell you how many times 
you all know, I love learning about conspiracy yeah. theories. <laughs> I love like uh, confession. Confession is good for the soul. <laughs> and, but then you realize, wow, I've literally spent an hour hmm. going down sure. a rabbit hole of what you know of what strange yeah. things and and myths and speculations that yeah. people people hold to. Well, yeah. isn't the nature of and the conspiracy is what, to what have I done to promote God's plan in this? Yeah. You know, what have, how is this? How is and yeah, it's not promoted in my own heart? It's not promoted in in the lives of of others. Like so, um, that that robbing away from the promotion of God's plan, anything that does that, right, is yeah. is not something to be devoted to. And what's the plan here that he's talking about? So what 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 is the plan? I think other translations will put in uh, God's work, if I remember correctly, um, which operates by faith. I, I equate it, in one sense, to the advancing of the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom going forth on the earth. And so picking up very much what, what Daniel was saying, I think what's undergirding a lot of Paul's writings is the days are short. We're in the last days. We have work to do. There's a kingdom going forth. And so these these things promote empty speculations. It's exactly what Daniel was saying. They they waste our time the more we succumb to them when we could actually be advancing the kingdom and right. doing something beneficial. That's how I see the plan and the work. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Feel free to elaborate. The word is oikonomia, and um, it means a responsibility of management. Uh, and so, well, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, that's what it means. It's kind of it re- refers to um, an administrative responsibility. Um, or an arrangement and something that is being administrated or ordered. Yeah. And so God has, as the administrator, the supervisor of human history, has a plan. And I think it's the salvation plan. I think yeah. the context here is God's plan of salvation. And so the question is, how is this thing that I'm interested in, whether it be about vaccines or whether it be about the pre-tribulational rapture of Jesus or whatever it is, whatever the issue is, or, you know, my theories about where Elvis is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know. Clearly, he's ha- on a ranch <laughs> in upper Louisiana. <laughs> so, you know, Tupac is still alive, bro. Notice um, how Daniel knew the theory right away. <laughs> I invented that one. Well, that's <laughs> hopefully against I think the controlling thing to answer your question, Jeff, is which operates by faith. And so if we're arguing in these speculative, um, um, fruitless discussions that go nowhere, the conspiracy... Uh, my involvement in it is to figure them out, to solve them, to prove them, and then to portray them to rest everyone else. But that's not operated by faith. That's a control thing. That That is, yeah. And so it's not by faith. And so right. that's the controlling aspect for why I would let go of some right. of these discussions is because at the end of the day, I, I, I need to operate by faith, not by my control hmm. over a subject. And right. So if I think if, if the, that there's a secret cabal uh, in the federal government um, of Satanists or, you know, whatever the thing is the, here's what Christians have to, here's what we have to ask ourselves when we are confronted by these highly speculative things. We have to ask ourselves this question. Is this advancing the gospel? As Daniel was saying, is this, a, is this promoting the plan? Yeah. Uh, is this promoting the cause of the gospel going yeah. out into the world? And if it's not, then I think we can say, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Nice to know. Uh, <laughs> and in some cases, we can say, actually, that's that's bat crap crazy. Like, that's just nonsense. But in some cases, we can say, hey, listen, that's interesting. That's not the gospel. 
And maybe I'm too hardcore on that. I might be. Well, it's it's also it's hard in some ways, especially like inside the church, not outside, when we get hyper focused on, you know, premillennialism, amillennialism, yes. postmillennialism, rapture, no rapture, all that kind of stuff. Because there are some things in here that God has given us to know. Right. He's revealed truth, things that are knowable about mm-hmm. him and about his plan. And then there's some things that he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we get hung up on, you know, pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture or when we get hung up on that, one of the things we're doing is we, like Patrick was saying, is we're trying to, we're not, we're no longer trying to have faith. We're trying to know. Right. You know, in in some places where God has actually just called us to have faith and to trust, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm coming soon, and you are in the end, you know, like yes, in the end times, and and uh, and things will happen. And so I yeah. do think it is some of it is not born out of faith. In, in when you get into the highly speculative stuff, it is truly I'm trying to know what God has not deemed yeah. a, uh, appropriate for me to not appropriate or but not deemed necessary to reveal to me. And on the other side of that, Daniel, I would say that there are some things like the end times discussion, just to pick on that, because we, this is what these new podcasts were supposed to be about, but we're, we're postponing that. I would say that the, the information or the source sourcing of it in the Bible is dense enough that it can, uh, it, it can take up a lot of your time and study. Um, but there yeah. are some things I think the New Testament is underdeterminative about. And it's, it's important yeah. to study it. Hmm. Um, and it's important to know it. And praise God, you, you should grow in your knowledge of it. But at the same time, becoming dogmatic about things the Bible's underdeterminative about really does take us away from the gospel. And my view of the end times might not be the same as yours mm-hmm. in terms of the sequence. Yeah. But we both agree Jesus is coming back. Amen. And that's and, our glorious hope. And yeah. that's our glorious hope. Right. So, um, yeah, it's good. And, then, and then we can agree, how, how then shall we live mm. until he returns, yeah. right? Yeah. So those things seem to be the, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Okay, that's great. Uh, verse 5 here. Uh, moving along, uh, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith without hypocrisy. So here he says in this verse, clearly this is the goal. Now, this word goal is the word telos, mm. and it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew twenty four fifteen when he says, and then the end will come. That's the word telos. It's the same word that Paul uses, um, the root word, that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 or 13, where he says uh, there are prophecies, but they will cease. There are tongues, but they will cease. When that which is telos comes, the imperfect will disappear. Hmm. So the idea of telos here is really not just uh, fulfilling your purpose. It's fulfilling coming to the end end of of that aim uh the end game if you will so um Mm. the idea is that we are being brought to perfection in christ at the resurrection and we are being transformed from glory to glory to you know degrees of glory until we are resurrected um 
But right now, the goal, the aim, the end game of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith without hypocrisy. I wish all three of those things were always true of me. Yeah. Someday they will. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting is when I get when I get hung up, usually run down some rabbit trail. I'm less. I feel less loving towards my fellow man. Yeah. You know, it, I don't. I it doesn't it doesn't bolster bolster the love in my heart to know that people believe that lizard people run. You know, <laughs> the federal government. <laughs> I usually like start to you know start to to either abhor them or abhor the people who don't believe that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's interesting that that the end goal is love, and most of the time when we end up running out. You know, running down these these yeah. rabbit trails, we it isolates us more. Right, it, it hardens us more towards groups of people. And, mm. uh, That's a great point. I, without I really love, like it that. hardens our heart to respond and still try to teach and coach and bring those people in. Because right. that's the other side of that coin is it's so ridiculous I can just cast you aside, yeah. but that's not yeah. the intention here is to yeah. love. Oh, you're right. Genuinely, and to bring them in. So how how do we not become callous to their callousness? Mm. Uh, that that to me is my my uh, tension as a pastor to become cynical and just to say whatever you yeah. you want to run Which down that road enjoy yeah you can do that but oh, how man. do I coach and love them? Which would fit with the plan that he's talking about being the message of salvation, and it's easy to love somebody when you're reminded of the unbelievable pardon you've been given right. yeah. in Christ That's Jesus the uh, the yeah. unbelievable foolishness that was overlooked in you, you know, by Christ. Right on. Yeah. Can anyone say they really have a pure heart, though? Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, what, see God? Yeah. That one, is that that mm-hmm. one? So, pretty sure it's that one. Yeah. how do we have a pure heart? <laughs> Oh, go ahead. I think some of it is um, walking in humility and repentance. You know, it's a it's a a process of sanctification that we will one day have completed in us uh, when we are glorified and freed from bodies that sin. And, right. Um, but it's a day by day reliance upon the Lord. It's a day by day confession of our sin when we've you know when we've fallen short. But it's also, a, you know, what are we filling our, our what are we filling ourselves our with? Tank. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. You yeah, the I, eyes are the window to the body or to the know, soul. That's soul. very true. And I could be completely off on this, but I, I am right now thinking of it a little bit similarly to um, often how we describe um, holiness and sanctifi- sanctification. So both. Uh, positional and then progressive in the sense that we have been given new hearts, uh, which is an amazing truth that that we all recognize. Uh, so in one sense, positionally, I like to think that we do have pure hearts, yet uh, day by day in our sanctification, those are growing until one day, um, one day, all uh, maybe our, our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts will match the uh, the purity that we've been given in Christ. But I'm, maybe I'm out out to something on there. Uh, I like that. Well, Sounds good heart, to me. I what's like heart it. represent? Is it its desires, its motives? What what would we put under the classification of what heart means? I think it's uh, the the center of the person. 
what, if you want to talk okay. about the person's spirit or yeah. the person's soul or mm. a person's animating persona yeah, yeah whatever <laughs> animating spirit that of sort it, of thing yeah and then so purity is actually it's the word katharas and that word is a cultic term especially in this ancient context it's cult. What do they believe? What's the real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do they come from? Um, so this idea of a pure heart. Now listen. In the atoning work of Christ, you and I have been made pure, because we are in Christ, and Christ is the acceptable sacrifice Amen. to God yeah. that appeases His wrath, right? That expiates our sin, that sort of thing. So you and I, on the one hand, if we are in Christ, you you do have a pure heart. So yeah. I think you're right. It's positional. Yeah. And I think it's forensic. Yeah. I think it's a forensic, forensic declaration that you are in the right, hmm. which is justification. But that is a that is a recognition that in Christ you stand in the right, hmm. not in the wrong. Yeah. Right. So on the other hand, it is sanctificational. That's yeah. a new term. I just made that up. <laughs> just invented that. Um, so, so the whole idea is that you're you're also in progress, and your heart is becoming more and more pure the more you put off sin and he's going to list a, a, a sin vice list here. That is, that's going to be pretty wow. You know? So yeah, I think we, we have, we proceed from a pure heart from having been given purity by Christ's sacrifice. And then we're seeking greater levels of purity within, uh, within that gift that we've been given. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's the way I would look at it. And as a reminder uh, from this, you know, something that pastor Daniel preached on a while back, concerning if i remember right the indicatives guide the imperatives yes um and so if it can very much you can be you listening remembered. to this i do uh maybe i'd read it somewhere else too but <laughs> you can uh, be listening <laughs> you can be listening to this thinking like these guys are talking about a pure heart and uh and i don't have a pure heart and i recognize my motives aren't often uh, right well one thing that we see time and time again uh, throughout the scriptures is that statement that, that daniel uh, preached on but it's also that um, what we're talking about with being positionally right, the God giving you a new heart enables you, enables you to pursue having a pure heart. Yeah. So uh, just remember that as we're talking about this, it's not like we in ourselves are talking like we've arrived, but we recognize sure. that we're trying to live lives of holiness in light of what Christ has done for us. Um, not as a t an attempt to earn anything, um, but really in light of everything that he has done for us, that and enables that, and us. And that's the book of Ephesians. If this is the open letter that seconds it, then we, you have Ephesians that precedes that statement. That yeah, would, that would yeah set that up well. that's right. One of the best prayers anybody ever told me to pray was, Lord, refine my motives. Hmm. Yeah, and, uh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. I really like that. Well, I think this comes through prayer. He, he mentions also a good conscience. The word conscience is the word sunatesis. And that word can refer to conscious awareness, like in First Peter 2, where he, he talks about a God consciousness, like people who are conscious of God uh, in their midst or in their life. And then also the idea of the ability to distinguish between moral good and moral wrong. And I think that's the way he's using it here. Okay. A good conscience is one that can distinguish between moral evil and moral good. And those things are objectively so. Uh, so good conscience and a faith without hypocrisy. So can a person have a faith with hypocrisy? 
uh, What's describe faith with that hypocrisy? further. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, like our translation says sincere faith, yeah. which is exactly what you're talking about. But the sincerity of faith is one who's genuine in their approach to faith in God. Right. So that when you say it, faith without hypocrisy, I actually have to reconfigure a little bit. Is it a is it a total statement? Can you have faith without hypocrisy, or is it like we were talking about with a pure heart, where I'm still working this out? My yeah. faith is still <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I believe, help my unbelief type of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's th- good, man. I think uh, again, off the cuff here, uh, when we're talking about saving faith, that makes me very concerned. Sure. You know, because I see a lot of warnings in Scripture concerning the hypocrisy of of uh, you know, faith without works is dead, and, and just basically saying that you uh, do believe this, yet no, nothing in your life seems to match it. Um, but when it also does talk, like, so in one sense, saving faith, and I'm not really answering your question, Jeff, but I'm just thinking out You're loud getting here. There. And then on the other side, I think of just living lives of faith. Maybe that's, yeah, the sincere faith here. Um, living a life day by day uh, in faith that God is good and he's trustworthy and he provides for us and he cares for us. So I think in that one, I could see a little bit more hypocrisy entering in with saying like, yeah, like I trust the Lord. Like I, I believe that he's doing this, but then all of your actions are showing that you're trying to in and of Jump yourself, James, yeah, in and of yourself, uh, do something. So I don't know if I'm splitting those up wrongly, but, uh, I think I'm more prone to seeing the second one as having some hypocrisy enter in, and I'm really concerned yeah, yeah. if the hypocrisy enters into a saving faith. So, the the phrase in the original language is a faith that is free from uh, from hypocrisy. So the the word he uses here is anupakritas, uh, where we actually get the word hypocrisy. But on the ana, that sort of preposition at the, or that uh, prefix at the beginning. Uh, means the opposite of. So it does mean sincere. It can be translated sincere, absolutely. Um, but I like this translation in the sense that faith that is devoid of hypocrisy, yeah. an unhypocritical confession. And I think there are people who have, there are lots of people in the church who have a right confession. Mm. That's not the problem. Yeah. The problem is that the sense, there is a lack of sincerity or yeah. there is a sort of pretense of godliness uh, at church, but then the rest of the week, Monday to Saturday, yeah, yeah. they do not live under the lordship or the commands of the word of Christ. And that's so, something yeah, I was gonna say, that I think every, we all have to watch out for. Every time we sin, in some ways, it's an act of hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, we believe that God is sovereign and that he's given us commands to obey. Yeah. And, you know, like we, we make that good confession. And so in some ways, every time we, every time we fail, it's a, it's a hypocritical act. Um, I'm wondering if he's talking more about a um, a patterned lifestyle of that, you know. Um, right, right. Where where you make the confession and your life doesn't yeah. reflect any of that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes on in verse 6 to say, uh, from which, you know, a sincere faith, from which some have deviated uh, and have turned away into fruitless discussion. Now... He's putting a fine point on this. So there is so it is possible for us to deviate from our focus on the gospel into things that are frankly fruitless and unproductive uh, controversies. Yeah. And so what does your version say there with verse six? Uh, departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussions. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and here's the kicker. This is how we know who they are. 
and wanting to be teachers of the law. The word law in Hebrew is the word Torah. It means uh, legal instruction. Uh, the word law in Greek is the word namas, uh, which just means a, a legal statute. And so they want to be teachers of Torah, so we know who they are now. Uh, and then he goes on to say, although they do not understand either the things which they are saying or the things concerning which they are speaking confidently. So Paul is saying these folks are have gotten off into Jewish wives' tales, yeah. have gotten off into all kinds of apocalyptic speculation and genealogies and tracing their genealogies and, and all this kind of stuff. And these are Jewish teachers who want to be teachers of Torah. Mm-hmm. And Paul says they... They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they're ignorant. They don't know about the things for which they, they think they have been instructed and concerning the things which they are so confidently asserting. Mm-hmm. He says they, they, they're ignorant. They're ignoramuses. They're not ready to become teachers of Torah. So now we know who they are. Yeah. Do you see the fruitless discussion that he uses in verse 6 is basically... Uh, synonymous with the empty, empty speculations in verse 4? Are they saying the same thing there? I for sure see yeah. that. Yeah. Because yeah. the speculative teaching of Jewish... Uh, so there were various kinds of Jewish interpretive models on the scriptures. One would be Pesher, or what we call yeah. allegory. Yeah. Uh, another would be Midrash. Mm-hmm. So Midrash is more of a commentary, yeah. running commentary. And then you have uh, what's called Halakha, which is divining legal statutes from the word and then and then putting legal uh, binding legal statutes on a person yeah. and then you have Haggadah yeah. and Haggadah is the more specul- speculative sort of Haggadic midrash that's Take what they me back call to it. seminary here it's been a while yeah since yeah I heard yeah those yeah, terms. yeah yeah so um, you know that sounds like what this this is what we're talking about so here need, we need to we need to wrap up but um, first of all, should this function as a check for pastors? Like, should this be a warning to pastors who have been given a, a position to teach? Um, you know, he, here, Paul's addressing the pastor and saying, no, tell these other people not to do it. But should it be something that we're looking at? Um, and should it function kind of as a litmus test right. for people who are considering pastoral ministry? Right. Is that... I think it has a direct application for us in how we teach the Old Testament. And we'll pick that up next time. Next time on Renew the Mind. Uh, so, <laughs> so in the next session, let's talk about that because I think there's a direct application about how we as pastors teach the Old Testament. And there's a way to do it in a way that Paul says, don't do it. Yeah. Here's the purpose of the law. And we'll pick that up at verse 8. <laughs> it's going to be a barn burner. <laughs> I do want to say real quick, since we're going ahead, uh, notice verse six, as you're like reading through this, even uh, trying to meditate on it, some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. Time and time again, we as Christians are told to produce fruit, you know, so if you're in something yeah. that is fruitless, fruitless, it's a dangerous territory to be in. Yes. Uh, not what you want to be described as in your Christian life as being a fruitless person. So, right. Yeah. Well, right with, that, <laughs> with that encouragement, encouragement <laughs> we're going to wrap this one up. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad that, uh, that you're participating in, in this and we love you and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.